Welcome to episode 97 of No Shot Clock, the Chicago High School Basketball Podcast. I am Michael O'Brien from the Sun-Times, here as always with Joe Henriksen of the City Suburban Hoops Report. And you aren't going to believe this, but for the first time in 97 episodes, we have a guest. Ben Pope of the Chicago Sun-Times, who's been with us for the last couple months as an intern. He um, is a student at Northwestern. If you're listening to this podcast, there's pretty much a 99% chance that you have read Ben's work on the website, because I'm sure you're checking it all out. So Ben is here to join us. He's going to give us his takes, uh, two takes on what he's seen this season. Then we're going to take your questions and get into the preview of the state tournament, which is, I'm sure, what everybody wants. Welcome, Joe. Welcome, Ben. How you guys doing? Good. It's great to have Ben. Young boy of wonder. Doing a great <laughs> job covering the... <laughs> Big, huge addition to really the high school basketball coverage, which is so limited in, in, uh, over the years in comparison to where we were years ago. It's great to have another another good uh, source out there. Yeah, it's, it's been fun to, to get to know these teams and, and provide the coverage I can. I hope people have enjoyed it, and I'm happy to join the podcast once because I've been listeners just like everyone else listening to this has been. Do you hate our intro music as much as most people? It's fine. Honestly, it's an off-season goal of mine to uh, re-energize the the brand. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. We're going to try that last year, too, but um, who knows? Um, All right, Joe, um, do you want to start us off with your take? Yeah, first one, I know we're Chicago area dominant, but this one is, you know, once in a while I try in my writing and in the podcast to kind of talk a little bit about some of the top teams and players from outside the Chicago area. And I went Tuesday night and saw one. And, you know, I have written quite a bit about Rockford East. And I have, you know, kind of been talking very glowingly about them. I ended up picking them to get through their sectional and through the super sectional and get to Peoria. So they've kind of lived up to that. And I I just believe that they have been just one of those, you know, we talked, we've heard about Springfield Southeast and Belleville West and, and some of the top teams outside of the Chicago area. But I I don't know if people are, have appreciated just what this team has to offer. And by that, I just mean, I mean, their record guys, I mean, they are an impressive 34 and two. And, you know, they came into the Chicago area. They played at the Wheaton South uh, Martin Luther King tournament. It looked very good. I saw them twice there. They beat Bennett. They beat uh, they beat uh, Mighty Joliet Central, and they knocked off York. And I just think that this there's players, talented players here who haven't been talked about, haven't been seen, and I think it adds a, a lot of intrigue to what is going to take place in Peoria. Rockford East hasn't been there for decades. <clears throat> they have a they have a Division One talent in Junior Sincere Parker who I've had ranked high in my rankings uh, that I sent out to college coaches in my rankings um, in the class of 2020. He was terrific last night in the super sectional win. He had 27 points, really turned the tie with a big third quarter push of his, hit a three-pointer. He's, he's a standout shooter. He's got a hundred and he's got made 120 or 119, or I can't remember. I looked at the stats earlier, 119 three-pointers on the year. And again, he, he's just a super talent. There's others. Shaden Clanton is a 6'4", 6'5", athletic uh, senior. Chris Burnell 
is a veteran guy who's been around for a while, big burly guard, strong guard. So this Rockford East team uh, matches up well in their semifinal game as well, which we'll talk about later with Curie. But and the last thing they're they're, they're showing their now Geneva's crowd was off the charts at DeKalb at Northern Illinois uh, Arena, and I expected that. I did not expect for whatever reason to have Rockford East show up the way they did. And it was more about the adult population of Rockford East supporters and basketball supporters in Rockford, which maybe bodes well for maybe a crowd in Peoria because students were there. There wasn't a huge student section, but they had a great following. They were into it. They were down 14 early. And when you're down 14 early, you don't get a sense of the crowd because they had really nothing to cheer about right from the get-go. And then, boom, the tide turned in that game. Momentum shifted, and all of a sudden there's this roar. You look up, and, oh, my, okay, there's way more Rockford East fans than I thought. So great night for basketball for Rockford East and DeKalb. And I think, you know, I, I, I do not – you know, a lot of people are going to say Evanston. I, I bet a lot of people pick Evanston. And before we make our picks, you know, I won't talk about it yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if Rockford East is playing in a state championship. Yeah, you mentioned kind of the word you used was – added some intrigue and that's exactly what they've done for me i mean i enjoy watching geneva they're a fun team and that would have been cool if they were here but rockford east has just really kind of put a bow on this state tournament for me i'm really excited to watch them i have not seen them this year um this morning was the conference call with all the coaches that advanced in the media and roy sackmaster the rockford east coach um boy he had some stuff to say about chris burnell who you talked about joe i didn't realize what a career he'd had there. He is a four-year varsity player. He is the school's all-time leading scorer with oh, more than 1,600 points, and he's the school's all-time assist leader. He broke that last night. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's He's amazing. a big, strong guard. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of them in AAU play. And, again, I've seen them play three times now during this season. But, yeah, it's a it's a great story. Uh, it's it, it, it's just fresh, you know what I mean? It's yeah. something new and fresh, and that's what I like about it. And, you know, I, I just, I, I, you know, you watch, I had some Twitter people and followers giving excuses for Geneva. And I'm not taking anything away from Geneva's season. They had an unbelievable run, phenomenal season. But there is no question who the more talented team was. Uh, I mean, Rockford, Geneva just, you could just see their uh, – there's a lot of balance with Rockford East as well. I mean, they got their big three, but they got other guys. I remember watching that Martin Luther King tournament. They had, I think it was one game. I, I don't remember tweeting it. I think it was the, the win over Bennett. I believe they had eight players that hit a three-pointer in that game, eight different players. So, mm-hmm. you know, they play some different guys, and they're a fun team to watch. They're quick. They're athletic. And, uh, you know, they don't have a ton of size. So, you know, Evanston will benefit from that, but – you know, it's a good quality team that I expected to get to Peoria, and they made it. So, congrats to them. Do you know what an ERAB is? No, I don't. Okay, I guess that'll be my mission this weekend: is to uh, figure out what an ERAB is. Um, anyway, uh, my first take is on Peoria. Of course, it's going to be a lot of Peoria talk. Um, I, if you can't tell, I am really excited about this field and the way things worked out. And, you know, I wasn't looking ahead a ton. I had a lot going on this week and a lot of other stuff. And I've been in like supreme burnout mode 
this was a tough last few weeks and I'm just exhausted from the season. I was going around telling everybody I just couldn't wait for it to end, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, last night, when I finally looked at who was at state and what we were going to see this weekend, I just got a huge shot of adrenaline and got really excited about what we've got in front of us. You got, you know, we've talked about Rockford East. You got Evanston. You got Belleville. Curie and Bogan. You got your Catholic League team, DePaul Prep, with a great star in Perry Cowan. You got East St. Louis, you know, down from the Southwest. And you got Pure Emanuel, the hometown team. I'm not sure what else you could possibly want, you know, other than future NBA players or whatever. But there is a power from each corner of the state. There's a hometown team. These are big public schools that should have big followings. And my point here is, my take is, this is it. If we don't get a crowd in Peoria for this, along with, you know, adding the fact that there's no NCAA tournament this weekend, this is it. I think we said this last time, that if there wasn't a crowd, blah, blah, blah. Because last year was a good field as well. I don't think it was quite this good. I just don't want to hear any more excuses. Four-class basketball is not leaving. It's here. It's staying. This is as good of a field as we're going to be able to get as far as distribution of teams, sizes of schools, etc. I really think with the current setup, if there aren't fans there, there's just no more excuse. I would say the only – I agree with you because you got some drawing – some name power at least as far as some of these schools. you got a defending state champ uh, in Belleville West. You've got – you know, Evanston's got a great – you know, history, uh, the names, Peoria Emanuel, East St. Louis matter. I, the one thing you did mention though, is the only thing, and you said the only thing that might be lacking is exactly what it is. The only thing that is lacking. Yeah. And that's some super star power. I mean, EJ Liddell is a top 50 talent nationally and you know, he, he is legit. I mean, he's as good as they get, but you know, there, 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 there's not that, you know, E.J. Liddell isn't even Jalen Brunson, you know. Um, I, yeah. I think Jalen Brunson, and, and and then of course you got the, the sure fire NBA guys of Jabari Parker and Julie Lokafor and those guys. So that's really all this 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 field is missing. And but we've seen nobody came to watch them. Right. No, that's 100 percent true. I mean, I I, I, I and, and it'd be interesting to see what what these crowds are yeah. like. Ben, you ready? Yep. Yeah, um, so my takes on Evanston, I've seen them the most of anyone this year. You'd think that's because I've been going to home games here in Evanston since I live here, but I've only been to one game here. But I've seen them a bunch, and I think what strikes me the most about them is their versatility. Uh, I feel like when you see most teams, they're a team. They do what they do. They have their players they rely on. They're going to do their pace. They're going to run their plays. They're going to do roughly the same thing every time and with Evanston I've seen a team that looks drastically different that looks like you put some different bodies in the same jerseys every time they can do it slow they can go fast they can rely on threes they can drive the lane I've seen Evanston do pretty much everything this year at different points in time and I mean they're not perfect at anything but they're they're good enough at each strategy and each tactic they use at a given point that it makes them hard to beat, especially when they can switch in the middle of the game. Um, Glenbrook South and the sectionals, um, the first half they were coming out, they were hitting everything. They were um, just racing up and down the floor. And then the second half, they slow it down, take two-minute possessions and play a completely different style. And they managed to be the better team in both, ha- both halves. 
against the Glenbrook South team that had beaten them earlier this year. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with Mike Ellis, who obviously has gotten a lot of praise on this podcast in previous years. And then also the three seniors in Lance Jones and Jaheim Holden and Ryan Bost, who um, maybe doesn't get as much attention as them, but I think Bost is a important leader in the group. Um, Blake Peters has honestly been kind of quiet these past few games. He had five points yesterday and he had definitely single digits the game before that. And, and, you're just waiting for him to wake up, but they've still managed to play really well without him just because of the depth they have. I think Louis Lamont on the bench would start for basically any team aside from maybe a couple in this state. Uh, he always comes in, gets some rebounds, hits some threes, and, and he's only the sixth man. Um, and that versatility, I think, is, is really impressive and can hopefully give them, or maybe not hopefully, but could potentially give them a better result in the the final four than they got last year. Yeah, the um, yeah. Mike Ellis mentioned this morning, uh, Holden, Boston, Jones, they have been playing together, those three, since third grade. So this is their 10th year together. That's crazy. And that's telltale sign of that, what Ben was mentioning is the, the one of the most crazy stats from the sectional championship night, which I wrote a little bit about in, in print, was – that I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how this happened or if it's ever happened where your two leading scorers in a big game like that, Blake Peters and Lance Jones, uh, none of one of them had a field goal in the game. They had five, uh, I think it was five total points, three and two. One made two free throws, one made three free throws. That's unbelievable. Uh, and one averages 16, one averages 13, you know, and not to get a single bucket from either one of them is remarkable um so and again the one thing that always jumps out with evanston that hasn't caught up to him really at all is the lack of size in this particular team and that wouldn't kind of it's not going to matter too much against rockford east but in a championship game potentially if they meet belleville belleville west it could um with ej liddell it would be a massive matchup nightmare Jaheim Holden's played really great. I mean, he led the comeback last night. They they looked pretty bad, probably the worst I've seen them in the first half, and he completely turned things around the third quarter. Um, yeah, they've – and then Lance Jones turned it on after a rough game uh, late and then to tie it in, in overtime. And those three seniors who have been playing since third grade overrode Ellis on the final play call to tie the game, and it worked out, so – yeah, I'm they a, definitely have a lot going for him. I'm a big – we've said for a few years, I, I think Jaheim Holden is one of the most underrated high school players in the area. You know, he, he's not a huge college prospect, but that, that that's taken away, I think, from the tension he should have had over the last few years as a high school player. Yeah, he's an energizer. He's wired to score, and he, he just brings that – a little bit of that um, it factor with him, you know, and that, that's huge for Evanston. Uh, my second take – is you know when it kind of goes by what Mike was talking about a little bit earlier. When you look at the when I go into super sectional night, I always I don't have a rooting interest really hardly in any of these games. It's just I, I selfishly you want to see the best teams in Peoria. And when you go into that super sectional night, you're trying to avoid like this. And I won't pick on any particular teams, but over the years. Okay, if that team gets to Peoria, it really kind of they get that big upset. It might kind of ruin it. <laughs> and this year, when I made my picks, I picked Valley Hill West, 
Curie, Evanston, and Rockford East to get to Peoria. Uh, that's not some, you know, great predictions. They're they're arguably the four best teams in each of those sectionals, and you know they have to win a super sectional game as well. But my point, my my take is simply that what I wanted worked out, and what high school basketball fans should have wanted, the best players or, or the best teams from the routes and the roads to Peoria to get through to get to Peoria did in 4A. Uh, you know, Belleville West was, I think everybody wants to see Belleville West simply because, you know, the story, you like the defending champ, you like that, that is still boast the best player, EJ Liddell. You know, Chicago Curie has been the best team in Illinois all year long since they kind of, you know, from Christmas on. Once they won Pontiac and they haven't lost to an in-state team, it's been clear that Curie is the team to beat and is number one. Evanston returns, uh, and, and then you got some new blood in Rockford East that people did a little bit overlook. You know, they probably had the of all the four teams the the I don't want to say the softest, but well, yeah, I'm good. The softest road to get to Peoria was Rockford East, but that doesn't take away from what I what I believe and what I think in them. And so I just believe that. These four teams, kind of to Mike's point earlier, were the four teams I expected, the four teams I think the high school band, a high school fan should want, and they're there playing for you in Class 4A. Yeah, I guess I'm a, I, I guess most of you will know this that listen, but I, I guess I'm short-sighted because I root for chaos. But then when it happens and some teams get through at state that maybe shouldn't be there, I look at the matchups and I get really disappointed (laughs) (laughs) once it's there. So I don't know what that says about me, Um, but yeah, it's nice that it worked out that way for sure. Um, All right. It's been a little while. We haven't even so much has happened since we last talked. I do feel refreshed because a podcast can be a grind after a while, but we've missed a ton. We didn't talk player of the year. We didn't talk all area. We didn't talk sectionals, you know, super sectionals happened. And there was a whole state tournament last weekend in Peoria that I was at. You know, Orr won, Providence St. Mel won, big, big weekend for the West Side. Uh, but my take is not quite about that yet. We'll talk a little bit about those teams when we get to the questions, I think. But I think everyone needs to prepare themselves for some changes to the classification rules that the IHSA has set up. Um, if you look at things the way they are now, or is going to drop to 1A. You can imagine the fear that puts in the hearts <laughs> of all of, um, from, I don't know, south of where, but that's a problem because 2A, you know, that Nashville team was tough. They were good. You know, I only saw them that one game, but it didn't take long to see how tough that team was. They were talented. They had a backbone. They were winners. They knew what they were doing. And I, I don't think they played over 10 times. They could have won. Maybe maybe they'd won once. So, I mean, it, it's it's troubling. You know, we, we know – the situation here in Chicago, we've talked about it a lot. These neighborhood schools are shrinking. Their enrollment numbers are declining. That's just going to continue. So I think the IHSA is going to possibly start multiplying Chicago schools since they are inherently borderless. That is the most likely outcome. I, I also think they they might think about the conference thing I've talked about with, you know, you base it on the conference you're in. But my take is a, a warning you know, I've talked to some people. I think they're going to be looking very soon at ways to kind of change this because people aren't happy with the current setup. What if they just went new transfer rule? Per transfer, you you get bumped up. 
have five well, transfers, you 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 go up a class. If you have two classes, if you have three transfers, because I mean. I mean, I, that's the thing with the, the or thing that I've heard over and over again. Uh, there's transfers, Mike, and then there's transfers. I mean, I, is there a player on or that's not a transfer? Um, I think maybe Michael Taylor, the junior. Oh, okay. That, that, uh, that might be it. I mean, that, that, that's that's what I keep hearing. Um, you know, that... that uh, from some, some small school people around the state and, and in the Chicago area. Well, Joe, I mean, they're all transfers. They're every single year. They're just new guys. Oh well, yeah. I don't know what to tell you, but every single one is, you know, from Twante Williams, Lincoln Park, Terry Williams, Simeon, Greg Outlaw, Bogan, Sharif Kenny, uh, out East, um, and on and on. But I, that, that, you know, that, that's, that's just going to continue, though. That's not changing. Yeah, I mean, people got upset with that, but what's so what's the Providence St. Mel excuse? They lost Cam Leonard. Well, there's a lot of teams that have lost. In, in, no, but I mean, I'm just saying. But, I mean, they won 1A with, you know, their kids. Yeah. Well, I'm not complaining. There are people that haven't complained to me about St. Mel. I mean, I... I yeah, I, I, I just don't think... My, my point is, fixing... I think, same, I, I, I think the Chicago Public League gets way more I mean, like people aren't riled up by the masses over St. Mel winning as they are. Yeah. They're Chicago. Yeah. They're, they're private school. I, I get that. But people went, when, when, if let's just say, I mean, Curie wins or wins and Bogan wins. I, I mean, again, I mean, is that is, do you, does it matter? that people don't like it. Yeah, because the fans start to not like the sport and it's going to hurt attendance. I mean, I think that's a problem, but I, what I'm saying is changing the transfer rules isn't going to stop public league domination of 1 and 2A or Chicago domination. I really don't mm-hmm. think that. The schools are shrinking too much. And 1A and 2A you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but I I mean I guess my my point is if I, let's just say nobody transfers to Orr and they have their same enrollment, they're not playing in Peoria. I don't know why wouldn't I mean who's going to beat them? Uplift well, then uplift would have been there. You know, I think it's just going to be a different public league team if there's not transfers. I mean, there weren't any transfers at Uplift. I think Nashville beats Uplift without not well, with Marquise. Well, he's hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right. Nashville's a good team. I mean, that, that they're they're going to have two college players, two scholarship players uh, on that Nashville team. Uh, one's a senior, one's a junior. So it, it's I don't know. I mean, were the games fun? I had multiple people. I'm not going to watch that. I don't want to watch it. I mean, I, I didn't enjoy the one A title game. To be honest, it was a blowout. I, I thought Nash Nashville or I did enjoy. You know, or is fun. Or is just fun to watch. And Nashville, boy, they gave it everything they had. So I did enjoy that one. Um, but it I wasn't mean, close. For thirty six points. Yeah. I, I just it's just not enjoyable basketball. It just isn't. It's true. Um, before we get to Ben's take, I guess. 
Um, I think it's kind of sad that they had to turn off the lights at Carver Arena to create atmosphere, but it worked. <laughs> um, it, they, uh, I, yeah, but I, I don't, regardless, I just think I like that in all gyms and arenas. I yeah, mean, I, yeah. Like the old forum in Los Angeles where the Lakers play. Loved it when it just basically it's all lit up on the floor. East Aurora is like that, you know? Um, yeah, I don't. I, I like it regardless if they, for whatever reason. I'm sure they didn't do it because of crowds. I mean, it's aesthetically more pleasing, but um, I like it. Uh, but all, well, real quick, by the way, I, maybe it's just because I don't. People probably don't like me in 1A and 2A because I don't enjoy it that much. But and I should just be a basketball. Ouch. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want this all one weekend thing. Ooh. I, no, I, I, I don't want to. No. So, anyway, <laughs> oh, wow. I like that. No more reasons. Joe just doesn't want it. All right. <laughs> I, it's like mixing. I, I just. I don't want to see them all together. It's two two separate basketball animals. It'd be like playing the final four weekend with Duke and uh, Kansas and Tennessee and whoever this year with the division three final four, the same weekend. Yeah. You know, it's not like Providence St. Mel and DePaul prep and Oren Curie are in the same conference. (laughs) I mean, I, I, all right, go on. We'll that's for a different <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and chime in on that. <laughs> yeah. It kind of leads into my take, but I'm originally but... from Raleigh, North Carolina. And the way they do it here is that they have, um, all the men's championship games of all four classes. Cause they have one through four A there too all consecutively in one afternoon. And from what I hear, it attendance is great for that. I mean, the basketball environment's different there, but from, from they, what I hear... They, where do they play that? It's a Reynolds Coliseum. Uh, okay. It's the old NC State, NC State Arena. Yeah. Um, it seats maybe eight, ten thousand. 10,000. Not sure exactly, but... Um, but yeah, my second take is just sort of be on the outsider's perspective on after a season of following high school basketball here pretty closely, what my uh, sort of takeaways were. I'll start with the public league because honestly the public league is kind of a different monster than everything else. But I think the promotion relegation is really awesome. And I know that's not a, a unique take. I think it seems like it's pretty beloved universally, but the idea that you can climb up from blue to white to red and, four or five year span and go from a school that no one outside of the neighborhood has ever heard of to a school that's going all over the state. And that's really cool. Um, I think it's an interesting way to keep things competitive, especially when there is these unlimited transfers and and no borders to, I know that they kind of migrate to, to certain schools. And I guess that's sort of a downside, but I think there's other ways to look at it too. Um, on the other side, I feel like I was kind of baffled, especially the first few weeks, by the lack of organization. 
Um, not knowing when a game is going to start is a unique one for me. Not experienced that before. Um, and sort of the unreliable stat keeping uh, something. I don't know if how much readers and listeners of this podcast know, but um, the stat keeping that Michael does every night is mind-blowing. I have no idea how he does it. Um, I've tried doing it, and I can only keep a fraction of the detail that he does. And so that the fact that not only is that not super standardized, but also that there's not even an official online standings page or anything. I mean, Jack's website is great, but um, yeah, that's that's a little odd. Um, and then outside the public league, I I think it's really interesting how big the crowds are here, uh, especially at some schools that we've talked about. Um, like that young York game, I don't think I've ever seen as many people at a high school game other than a championship, maybe um, at that. And I think that that really shows the passion for fans uh, of fans here in, in the Chicagoland area for high school basketball. I, I have two Twitter accounts, one of which I've been using for, for my coverage of this. And I think when I started in January, I had about 300 followers on that one. And on the other account, I had a thousand followers and I believe I'm now within a couple dozen followers of being equal on both of them in just about two months. So the fact that that many people care about just an intern tweeting about scores every quarter of a one game at night um, (laughs) really shows the passion that people have. And that's pretty cool. Um, I think that that, you know, the shot clock is something that seems to be discussed a lot here. The podcast is named after it. Um, And in North Carolina, it's the same. There's no shot clock there either. But it's interesting to me how teams either sort of ignore the fact that there's not a shot clock and play like there is, or they take total advantage of it. And it seems to vary so drastically based on schools. I don't really remember, like, in Raleigh, seeing scores below 50 ever. And here you get games that are like... 20 to 30 sometimes which is odd to me and then you also get games that are 90 to 80 and the fact that in the same quarter format with four eight minute quarters you can have both scores is wild because i'm it's just very interesting to see and i don't know why it isn't done more honestly from my experience um teams just holding the ball for three minutes straight if they're leading in the fourth quarter and i don't know if it's possible to have a shot clock, but I just think that's, it's an interesting thing that the teams really use that to their strategy more here than I was expecting. And then my final take that I'll add on this is I think the, the playoff format is interesting in that for one teams have such a tunnel vision focus on the playoffs, especially if they're outside the city limits and they don't have the city playoffs preceding it. Um, It's just like talking to Evanston and some of the games I went to, they, really didn't seem to really care much about anything other than simply the playoffs and everything was a tune-up for the playoffs and that's not just Evanston either and that's a that exclusive focus on the playoffs is something that was surprising to me coming from an area where conference every conference at a tournament and conference championship games honestly got more attention than some of the early round playoff games um and I feel like the playoff format of having them at these neutral sites in the regionals and sectional hosts and super sectionals. And then Peoria, I obviously haven't been to Peoria, but 
I think that's an interesting format, and it's kind of hit or miss. Um, like last night, I know Michael was commenting on Twitter. It's kind of crazy that Evanston played at the Sears Center, which I learned firsthand is very far away and not at Welsh Ryan. Um, and that really hurt the crowd. I mean, there was probably 80% Stevenson fans, and Stevenson has a great fan base, of course. But but then in some situations, like when they played Glenbrook South at Niles North, I mean, it was a pretty equal crowd. That was pretty halfway in between the two schools, and I think it worked out really well. Um, in North Carolina, it's the higher seed hosts every game until the final four. And... I think that it's an interesting approach to it, having it at these regional hosts. Yeah, a lot of discussion about that. Well, all right. Thank you, Ben. And yeah, I've been harping on the fact that it's weird that we don't have uh, anyone keeping standings other than Jack. You would think if you run a sport, scores and standings would be important to you. But anyway, let's get to these questions. We've got a bunch Thank you, Ben, for being our first guest ever on No Shot Clock. Hopefully not our last. This was actually relatively easy. He says now before editing <laughs> and putting it up. <laughs> but uh, I think it'll work. We might try it again in the future. Um, all right. You ready, Joe? First yeah, up, Joe Cermak. He says, with Curie, Rockford East, Evanston, and Belleville well, he said Belleville, uh, Belleville West having a combined 131 and 11 record and all four teams having a real strong shot at winning it all. Is this the best final four in recent memory? What are some of the best finalists you can remember in both the two class and four class setup? Well, I mean, it's, there's definitely a pre four class post four class because some of the elite eights in two A basketball were off the charts. I mean, some of those we had in the nineties when Thornton and Manuel were getting there. And then the, the historical 1998 one, uh, was just unbelievable when, um, you know, um, <clears throat> we had Fenwick and, uh, Whitney Young and, and Galesburg and Joey range and Maine West with Kevin Fry and Lucas Johnson. And I mean, that was probably I mean, Sean Harrington and Elgin was down there. Uh, I think uh, Joliet uh, was down there that year. So, oh yes, I mean that 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 that's so far and away above what we're seeing with the four class basketball. Because unfortunately, with with I mean again, I don't want to pick on three A, but you do usually get one or two three A schools that aren't quite up to snuff of what we're accustomed to. So, but recently, um, oh, what do you think, Mike? I mean, I. I mean, I didn't I, do a whole lot of research on this. Yeah, um, I think it's great, but it's it's cl- it's very similar to last year. Um, it's very similar. Um, Evanston, Bell. So, Bell, but yeah. but I guess the point is, are the teams better? Now, we'll talk a little bit. But Belleville West is not better than last year's team. No, but last year's Belleville West team was better than this year's. They can still win it. Uh, is is this Evanston team better than last year's Evanston? Yeah. Yes. Um, Curie better than Young? Yeah. Is Rockford East better than Larkin? Yeah. So it's better than last year. Yeah. 4A. Similar makeup. Yeah, you're right. And the, but stronger, definitely stronger teams. And, and just, 
and the storylines are what make it. And it's what made it in those years Joe talks about. And, you know, you got a defending champ in Belleville West, but then you got an undefeated in-state team in Curie. And then you've got Evanston, who's, you know, back, you know, for the second kind of crack at it after last year. And then this great, you know, old Rockford, you know, public league school or public school making their first trip in 41 years. So it, it, it's just, it's a, it's a cool group. I, I don't think it's the best um, no, I mean you. You go Simeon. That Simeon team. They had one year. We had Simeon, Proviso East, yeah, and Jalen Brunson and Stevenson, yeah, uh, with Edwardsville. I think that was 2013. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think it's the best. I think it's lacking the the monster power team too. Yeah, very good field, up for grabs for a. But and, there's not a dominating 3A team, like just a killer 3A team, or one in 4A. The geographic distribution in 4A is great, though. With, yeah. you know, one Down city South, team. Outside of the Chicago area. Yeah. Suburbs and city, yeah. I mean, it's it's ideal. That's perfect. So that, that's another part of it that I really like. Um, all right, next up, Tom Arnold's buddy of mine. He's a regular Pontiac holiday tournament attendee, season tickets all the time. He's, so you can... I guess you probably won't guess what his question is, but you won't be surprised by it after I said that. Uh, Tom says, with the low crowds at the state tournament, would the IHSA ever look at holding the finals at a neutral high school site? With the success of the Pontiac Holiday Tournament, would you want to see the state finals hosted somewhere such as Pontiac? No. <laughs> Love Pontiac. Mike loves it more than anyone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love my two, two and a half days. I get in and out of Pontiac and it's a wonderful little town, but no, I, I mean, you, you need a, you need a Mecca, you need an arena, you need uh, a place to go that, well, I mean, that you look forward to going to. <laughs> Sorry, Peoria, I'm still not there with you there, but uh, yeah, you just, you gotta have a big environment. It's gotta be something that kids are really and the players are shooting for and looking forward to. And, and a high school gym, I love high school gym. I don't want playing more in arenas. I mean, Sectionals should all be played in high school gyms, even some of these super sectionals and some yeah. really big high school gyms would be cool. But for the big one, I, I, you got to have a big arena, and um, you know you got to have the the things surrounding it, whether it be hotels and and um, you know the entertainment value of, of what's in the surrounding area. So yeah, no, I, I Pontiac's great. Uh, other high school gyms are great. I don't want a state finals in in a high school gym. Yeah, I agree 100%. I would like to see us scrap all the college super sectional sites. I'd like to go back to all supers in high in big high school gyms. That would be cool to me. And I agree. I, the, the DeKalb Super, though, Mike, is I don't know when's the last time you've been there. but oof, long time. Um, I, I mean, last night was really cool. And, and I mean, we've had, a, yeah, massive crowds at Sears Center, too. Yeah. So I don't, I don't necessarily mind – as long as those arenas have people in them. Yeah. No, that's it was a big a time, point. big time atmosphere last night, big crowds. They wouldn't have been, I mean, if you had a high school gym last night, those fans aren't seeing that game. No. So, uh, I mean, like I said, Geneva's crowd. I mean, that was just awesome. So there's just so few high school gyms. You know, if you're in Indiana where some of those six, seven, 8,000 seat gyms uh, were in high school gym, that'd be cool. But we have so few of those in Illinois. It's true. And I remember like John Shire at uh, Rosemont horizon was uh, right. a big time yeah. super but uh, my counter to that would be good 
we need some hot tickets, some sold out things, some things people get can't get into that they want to see that become legendary. I think we need to go that direction for those games and then go as big as possible for state. United Center, Assembly Hall, not make it smaller. We need to make it bigger. Um, and more important would be my way, Tom. Uh, all right, next up, Dave Hortman, who I'm pretty sure answered his own question, um, but he sent it before uh, last night. He said, is Stevenson for real? Didn't they lose to Lake Forest in a blowout? Lake Forest got beat in the first round of the playoffs. Upsets happen. B- bad nights occur. Teenage kids playing basketball. Stevenson had a great year. They weren't this dominant juggernaut team. Uh, yeah, they're for real for what they were this year. I mean, no question. I mean, they had Stevens or they had uh, Evanston on the ropes, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, they very easily could be playing in Peoria this weekend, and they're definitely for real because they'll be in. They'll we'll be talking about them next year, and and they will be a borderline top ten team in the preseason. I think they're definitely top ten. Who do you got in that bottom five that's better? Well, I haven't really broken, yeah. broken down 2019-2020 quite yet. I so. haven't I haven't either, but I'm I'm pretty confident that a team returning everybody from the yeah. uh, Supers is going to be top ten. Well, Mike, you're going to have eight public league teams in top ten. <laughs> oh, so, boy. There's only two spots left. <laughs> For them in Bloom and Evanston, <laughs> yeah. Um, next up is um, from our buddy Doug Hammer, who got – he's the Providence St. Mel fan, super fan, who got his state title – this weekend, I was real happy for Doug. It's always, you know, helps when you, know, you can kind of personalize things. I know how much this meant to him. He says, We should have a fan of the year. We should have a fan of the year award in the podcast. Ooh. We should. And <laughs> my first, first recipient is. Would be Doug Hammer? Yes, 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 for sure. I just, whenever I hear awards now, I just think of all the people that are going to be mad at me when I don't pick them. <laughs> and so I really don't want any more awards in, in my life. But um, anyway. Doug says, thanks for your coverage the last couple of years and glad we could turn around our record with you in attendance this year. Please give your thoughts about our performance at State, how we stack up against other small school titleists in the area's recent past, Seton, Hales, Leo Orr, and please talk about the games of Tyrell Nelson and Deion Jackson, who are the best kept secrets in the area, in my opinion. Well, I feel like you're not going to like what I have to say, Doug. Um, and you are our fan of the year <laughs> versus bubble one week after <laughs> I relishing his state title. Come on. Be careful what you ask for. Um, just, just lie. yeah. Oh, so you're, yeah. Doug, I'm sorry, Doug. I don't think you guys are at the level of any of those Seton, Hales, Leo or, or teams. No, I, I, I agree. But Hey, you got your state title. Yeah. Um, and I thought um, I did think everybody played real well. Um, you know, Nels Tyrell Nelson, he was excellent. You know, he was the guy who made Dahl City for me, and he lived up to it. Was a great player. Um, Jason Mason, you know, had some flashes that were really impressive, and he was a great kid to talk to after the game. You know, I don't, I don't, and those schools you're talking about, they weren't one A titleists. You know, they were. I, I think you're in a different group. You're the first group. You know, you're you're against Mooseheart you know, who won 1A a couple of years ago. I mean, I think this is, you're just talking about teams that are a level above. Um, they were either yeah. Class A titleists or, you know, 2A. So, Last year's Orr team and that Seton team are two that really, really stand out to me for 2A. 
Yeah, I mean, some of those Hales teams were incredible. I mean, we're talking NBA players like JaVale McGee. I mean, and then, you know, dominant mid-major guards, right? Some of those kids. Yeah. Um, they were monsters. I mean, whew. Yeah, I mean, um, all right. Uh, Marty Machazic's up next. Uh, into the topic that we have managed. We're, we've been going for a while here, and we have not hit this topic, but we will hit it now. I think we have to. Marty says, hey, guys, a crazy week and weekend with some great things unfortunately marred by what happened with North Lawndale and Farragut. Because of the impact it had on the state finals, here are my questions. Do you think it's an advantage or disadvantage for DePaul Prep to not have played a super sectional game? Let's take these one at a time. That's the first one. What do you think of that, Joe? That's a tough one. It really is. One, you get a little bit less of a chaotic, hectic preparation week for Peoria. You can kind of smooth your way into it. You, you talk to some of these teams that, that have to play that super, and it, everything is just a blur. I mean, you're, you're prepping and preparing for – for um, the super sectional game, and then boom, it's right. You got you, you have the euphoria and the rush, and you're going to state, and then you got to turn right back around and get right back at it, and, and prepare and prep for the. You know, DePaul doesn't have to to do that. Uh, that's a plus, I think. The negative is you, well, you, negative is you miss the opportunity, the experience of playing in a super sectional. It's another big game experience mm-hmm. uh, to really kind of ride. Because you see it, and Mike and I, and the fans that go to these games, you see different. They're the same teams, but they they rise to the occasion and they elevate themselves. And I truly believe a lot of these teams become better than even they realize they thought or realize what they are and, and what they think they could be because they just adapt to the environment and the situation they're in, and they rise to that level. and And that's a huge thing. And missing out on that in the super sectional is is not beneficial so that that part is you would like to get another big and if you're guaranteed to win that game but i mean what do you take i mean you take the guarantee to peoria and not have to worry about the super sectional or do you take the the big game opportunity that you would rather if you knew you were going to win you'd rather go through the experience and, and and gain that uh value from that game but uh i, I think there's good and bad yeah, I agree with both points, but I think that um, the last part is way more important. Um, however, DePaul Prep is going is in Peoria. It's Wednesday when we're recording this. They're going to be there Wednesday because, as Joe said, they had time to plan, and so they decided to get. And that's not. I don't. There won't be another team down there today, other than Peoria Manual, clearly. So they do have a calmer start. They'll have things laid out, and that's helpful too, since it's their first time there. You know, a lot less confusion. But I think they miss a crucial step in their evolution as a team, as Joe talked about. And I think it's going to be a huge on-court hindrance on Friday. I I think they missed out on just, you know, taking a step to become a fully formed team that got to state. They never got to state. They were given state. And that's different for a team. You just didn't get to do that. That's not their fault. You know, I'm not blaming them. But I don't think – I think that's a crucial step into becoming a team that they were cheated out of because of what happened. One thing that will help offset that, I agree with you, but one thing that will help offset that just a little bit is the schedule that Tom Kleinschmidt put together this year. They played a wide – if you look at their schedule, I did a little piece on this right midseason. Just a wide range of of, uh, styles and systems that they played against. Uh, 
you know, slowdown and athletic teams and weird locales like Quincy. And uh, he really did put them in different situations and by design uh, compared to the previous years. So that should help a little bit. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, just missing that opportunity to, to play in a high-stakes game where everything matters is is always going to hurt a team not being able to play in that. It's really unfortunate. I mean, this is a little off topic here, but did, Joe, would you give any credence to letting them play someone else? What do you mean? H- having the, the teams that North Lawndale and Farragut beat play and they play Just the winner. So they have them get a sh- Yeah. So you're saying bring those two teams back and have them play on Saturday? Exactly. No, because they no, because they both they lost. Yeah, they they lost the game, and then Farragut and North Lawndale screwed it up. And by the way, everybody rips the IHSA for different things, and it, the immediate reaction, you know, without talking to coaches or seeing film or things like that, they took a little bit of heat. Uh, I, I, there's no reason why what happened shouldn't have resulted in what the IHSA did. And, and so that, you know, when the players leave the bench, the players leave the bench and there's a fight, there's a fight and there's not going to be the players to play. I mean, the IHSA did the right thing. And, and I don't want to get into that whole thing. It was just, there was zero reason for any of that to happen, obviously, but even more, less of a reason when you watch the video of it, I mean, there was nothing horrifically bad about the foul or the undercut it was it was a basketball play it was a yeah he fell hard and and got off balance because of the position he was in but there was there was not this this horrific I said horrific deliberate uh intent to hurt somebody And, and then for it to escalate like that it's just it's asinine to me to, to, to see that happen over nothing. It wasn't like it was a sucker punch. You know what I mean? I, that, I, you know, it, that disgusted me. And to be honest with you, a lot of times you feel sorry for teams and kids. And, and, and I, I didn't. I didn't feel sorry for anybody after watching the, the replay of the video. There we go. That was uh, Marty's next question was, how do you think the IHSA handled the incident? (laughs) So we got Joe's take on that. Um, I am very weary of this topic at this point. Um, I do have opinions, some of which are... Leary or weary? Weary. um, Some of which are very different from Joe's. Um, I do feel... I feel sorry for all of them. Um, I, I think... I don't disagree with anything you said about the play in the incident. But why did they fight, Mike? Because I'm going to, you know, speak, you know, out of turn here. I'm going to guess that 90% of the people of of the players didn't see the foul. Didn't see what they saw was the way he fell. And that was scary. Um, It's one. There's there's falls in a lot of games. That's one of the worst falls I've seen. It to me, that fall looked like something that paralyzes somebody. He fell horribly awkward on the back of his neck like that. And those kids saw that and they got scared. And on the west side of Chicago, in a Farragut North Lawndale game at night with that heated, when those kids 
who are frankly scarred by their daily life sees something that scares them like that, they naturally lash out just out of fear to protect themselves. And that's a huge societal problem that has nothing to do with basketball that manifested itself on a basketball court. And then all the fallout comes from it. And I don't know where you even begin to assess, you know, how to fix that. It has nothing to do with the IHSA or basketball. And clearly what everyone wound up seeing is, you know, horrific, like you said. But I think it's just it's a lot bigger and deeper than some kids just deciding they were going to fight. If I saw a I would agree with you 100 percent if there was if I saw something deliberate of any kind, like a like I said, a, a punch or a shove or a push or a but it was really so it was such a basketball play. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, the instant reaction. But I, if you were, I, don't, I just don't see it because of the, the play and, and the lack of intent. And I mean, if there's, if that, if that is going to be, if those are going to be the actions of something that, again, it was a basketball play. I, I don't, I don't know how that's excusable. And some of the issues I know that Farragut has had with it is the way it was handled at the end. Where now, I, I, no, I, I will say one thing. If I'm if, not being at the game, it, I, you know, I should probably pipe down just a little bit because if for some reason, and, and again, this is maybe goes without saying because it's <laughs> two West Side schools that go at it and they're rivals and they've had heated games and stuff, so they know each other. If it was a 30 minutes of just uh, and I don't know if it was you know testy nasty you know barking I don't know if, if the referees kept it in control I mean it, it, that, I guess that would be the one thing that I would maybe maybe kind of agree a little bit that there was an instant like okay this is the final straw type of deal but I don't know if that was the case or not if it was a pretty clean matchup between the two and I, I just think for that to uh, you know to happen under the circumstances that took place. I, that's why I just find it inexcusable. Yeah. Um, it's tough. And the way, I mean, from Farragut's side, you see this thing happens and then North Lawndale's the host. So it was North Lawndale. That's talking to the IHSA. Right. No, that's the, yeah. and then they come out and tell you this team that was losing, I'm going to lose the game. And then you just had this hot, crazy fight with. And so if you're William Nelson and Farragut, You've just had that happen, getting a huge fight with them. Then they go call the IHSA, and then they come back and tell you that everybody lost, not just them. <laughs> How are you going right. to feel? But, I mean, the, but the rules are clear, though, Mike. With oh, the, oh, yeah. With, with I, the get video. It. yeah. I, I don't know who, who would be eligible to play the next game. There, from what I was told, they, they would have had four kids to All finish right. the game with. And that was talked about briefly. You can finish the game with four players, right. which they probably – could have but you done. can't play the next game, though. Exactly. Well, unless he had some sophomores or freshmen to call up, which I don't think he does. Um, I'm just saying, I don't think the IHSA, I, I don't think they had any other choice. The answer to the question of how to handle it, I, I don't. I mean, what are you going to do? Say, yeah. okay, well. Yeah, you. well, what you can do is not hold, have a sectional there again after what we saw at Westinghouse two years ago. 
You cannot well, that, do that. that. That's, that's, you know, preventative. I'm talking yeah. post, you know, no, I agree. Yeah, but, but I mean, I, I was speaking with someone the, the morning of the game and we both talked about how we knew something was going to happen. Everyone with a clue figured something was going to happen in that game. Um, it does not take a genius to figure that out that if North Lawndale and Farragut play in a, a hugely important game at night at North Lawndale, the Collins, it's going to get nasty. And I, I'm not trying to excuse that. It's just, you got to go out of your way to keep that from happening, especially after you've already gone through this incident. You well, know. And, and, and I'm going back to the video again. I mean, nothing happened immediately. It, it was a Farragut push and shove to the, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but all right. Um, let's see. Oh, one more part. Marty has here. If a team in any sport has to forfeit a postseason game because of an incident like this, couldn't field a team or just didn't show up, should there be consequences such as not being able to participate in the postseason the following year? No, I think this was punishment enough. Well, they're getting more punishment. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I At the start I of the year probably. Well, then, then if they're handing out punishments like that, then then you need to be doing it all across the board to different other people and programs. I, I, this isn't the only time we've had a fisticuffs. What is the um? What's the? Somebody tweeted me this: the old cliche that the NCAA got so mad at Kansas that they um punished Elp. Appalachian State <laughs> or whatever because yeah. I, I mean I've been in contact with some of the Farragut players and more than one of them wanted to know why Morgan Park um, can do stuff but they can't so <laughs> those well, kids saw the example that the CPS and the IHSA set right I mean I, I just I don't know. and the other I mean yeah, I forget it. this is too much on this on a happy week yeah. Um, next up, Chris Taylor. Do you think um, Ramian Hinton is one of the top ten juniors in the state? Yeah, I mean he's potentially right there. You know, I, I in my player rankings, um, I have to go back and look, but I mean I think he is just on the outside of, of top ten in that in that uh, twenty twenty class. So yeah, but I mean potentially with a big spring summer, uh, he can elevate himself. I was interested. I was looking at the they do all the stats for the online for all the teams that make it to Peoria. And I, I was really surprised at one stat in particular, as I looked through it all, it was Ramin Hinton's three pointers. I did not, I would not have guessed that he hit 50 some threes over the course of the year. I mean, I would have guessed 30, 35, but the 50 plus he had in the, in the stats. But yeah, I think he's, I don't know, 13th, 14th ranked player in, in, in the class of 2020 in my rankings. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because, yeah, I'm a believer. He can do everything on the court. He, he's a force well, in the he, post, hits those threes, yeah. And he's as tough and high motor of a player as mm -hmm. you're going to find in, in, in anywhere. He plays hard and competes at a level that, you know, 90% of players don't compete at. No doubt about it. All right, state preview, let's do this. Um, let's start out with your favorite 3A, Joe. Um, DePaul Prep Bogan. Bogan. By eight, gonna be closer. I think I, I get the impression people think Bogan's gonna roll now that they beat Morgan Park. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but um, I, I just think people think Bogan's going is 
you know, Springfield Southeast and Morgan Park were the two teams that everybody kind of penciled in. And Bogan beat them. Southeast lost. I think people are kind of anointing Bogan now a little bit. Uh, but I'll take Bogan. Yeah, I will too. Um, I didn't make Jordan, pick- Jordan Booker's playing like a. I mean, wait, J- I Joe. He, he averaged 16, 15. How many years have I been telling you? <laughs> Jordan no, but I mean, he's averaged like 15, 16 a game. Yeah. And now he's scoring 30. He's a monster. He is scoring 30. Um, and so, and, and, and playing, I saw Bogan twice in the first half of the season. And I didn't like Jordan Booker. I mean, I shouldn't say I didn't like him. I, no, I liked him. But the difference in Jordan Booker, this right now, is not even the numbers. He's playing way more in control, way more poised than he did in the two games I saw in the first half of the season. And that's a credit to him. Uh, and and that's the difference. I mean, he is picking his spots. He's not forcing things. The difference uh, is Bloxton. Jordan Booker has been a killer for three years. But he was, I'm just telling you, the, the Jordan Booker I saw and the Jordan Booker college coaches have, have, have watched have also, it, it was just a little bit too fast, too wild, and he is toned down. He is, he's, he's just become more effective. Um, as a result of it, and yeah, blocks and I mean that. There's no mystery. Right? <laughs> you you lost to Morgan Park. You whatever. You know, went through the season, had a great season, but you add blocks in at the end of the year. You just added a 18, 19 point per game. He's guy. averaging twenty points off the bench in his seven games. Yeah, I mean he's he started in the game I was at against Morgan Park, but. Yeah, um, that was from Goody. So, but um, yeah, I mean, I've loved Jordan Booker for years, no doubt about it. I think this team, and I wish I'd, you know, I didn't make predictions this year for the first time in a long time. I don't know who I would have picked um, necessarily. Bogan Morgan Park, that time, no idea. Um, I last, yeah, um, because I, I think that early exit from the city was good for them. That heartbreaker at Orr in overtime was it double overtime that I saw. Um, they had some time, you know, to like figure it out a bit. Um, and that was a what's great high level game. And what's crazy is they, they are, they are, well, I mean, the super sectional game was not a game that I thought was going to be close. But I, I mean, they've won their last two games with Rashawn Agee doing basically nothing. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he was two months ago, he was a top three contender for player of the year. And he's, you know, he's an 18 and 13 guy. And didn't I mean, he didn't play against Morgan Park? Literally, I mean, he played like six, seven minutes the entire game because of fouls. Had two points, I think, and then he was in foul trouble and didn't do a whole lot against UHI, normal UHI. So Rashawn Agee, the last two games has has been non-existent, and it's been Booker and Bloxton, man. And and I will say, uh, Kendall Davis played terrific mm-hmm. in, in a small role in. in the uh, Morgan Park win. He didn't have big numbers, but he had a couple of big shots. He rebounded. He provided some toughness. Fraley, the big man, gave them some good minutes in that Morgan Park game. Morgan Park, Morgan was a – that was a just a – definitely a top three game I've seen all year um, at St. Lawrence. Jim was packed and full and great environment. And early on there was some testiness, but it was a clean game for the most part the rest of the way. I mean, Bogan's got literally a second team off the bench that could probably win a 3A sectional. <laughs> I mean, which is yeah. crazy at this point. 
Definitely. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I like Vogan in this one. You know, by a great deal. I I feel like. Um, I don't. I, I don't see a blowout at all. I see DePaul hanging around because of their. Uh, they, they play good defense. I mean, yeah, they're yeah. very good defensively. Stylistically, and they could really confuse Bogan too. It's a matter of them being able to take care of the ball, and I, I, you know, they've got some experience. There's a lot of experience with Perry Cowan and Raheem Anthony. Lance Mosley's only a junior, but you know, it, he's got a lot of experience. Uh, Ty Johnson, Tyler Johnson's been very mm-hmm. big for them, uh, the sophomore guard. So. I I think DePaul hangs around, uh, competes in battles, mucks it up a little bit, and keeps it closer than like you and some others probably are anticipating this game to be. I think they do that for three quarters, and then Bogan wins by double digits in the end. I would say. And the other thing, I know DePaul hasn't been there either, but Bogan hasn't been there. It is a weird – that first game – Ugh, especially 11 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't. That's true. How many times yeah. have we seen, like, this isn't, how many times have I seen a game where I said, this isn't the team I've seen all year? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, not that that's going to happen, but. Uh, and that can. could happen to either one of them. Um, yeah. That 11 a.m. thing. I, um, what was going to say about this one? The um, 3 a.m. Oh, I don't know. I guess we better move on. Um, East St. Louis, Manual. 1 p.m., Class 3A. I have not seen East St. Louis, but I am as excited as I am about Rockford East, which I'm very excited about. I have been waiting. I had this in open last night to watch Terrence Hargrove for three years. I can't wait. Yeah, Terrence Hargrove is a, he's an exciting player. I've seen a lot of them in AAU. I have not seen East St. Louis this year, though. So I haven't even seen – usually I try to – I generally always get a some tape and have guy coaches send me some – videos of, of a game or whatever and I'll come across almost every team because because I want to see some of the players that I don't get to see and I have not seen East St. Louis one time so uh all I know is Terrence Hargrove is good and I, I debated and argued with several college coaches over you know the, the upside in Terrence Hargrove he's and he kept growing he's he was used to be like 6'3 6'4 then all of a sudden he's 6'5 6'6 and he's legit 6'7 he plays above the rim Hmm. Uh, the numbers he's posted over his high school career. He's a rebounder. Man. He blocks shots. Yeah. Um, so he's, you know, he, he is a pretty dynamic figure going to St. Louis to play next year. And having not seen them, but seeing their scores, their scores yeah. are impressive. They took Curie uh, to overtime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Curie to overtime. Uh, they played Belleville West tough and even beat Belleville West, although I don't believe Liddell played the second time. So, yeah, I mean, they, they, they've kind of been under the radar, under the, yeah. you know, the shadow of Belleville West down south and to a degree Alton. And they're a team that, I, you know, I've seen Manuel, saw him at Pontiac for a little bit, and I saw him Tuesday night for a little bit. I, I just, Pee Wee Brown, a 6'2 junior, 6'1 junior guard that was playing at a pretty high level. He scored 33 in the super sectional. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I like East St. Louis here. So we could wind up with a East St. Louis Bogan final that is, I will say it, 4A quality. <laughs> yeah, I no, no question. Uh, you know, I'd much rather seen Darius Miles, East St. Louis, against Peoria Emanuel and Sergio McLean and Frank Williams. But, you know, this 
This will probably be a competitive game, but I'll take East St. Louis by 10. Um, what do you think about the title game? If, if it winds up to be, we both think East St. Louis Bogan is probably how it winds up. Yeah. Um, I'm, we I, haven't I, seen I mean, East St. Louis, so it's tough. Yeah, it, it's the, it's very tough. I mean, we could we could see each other and, and uh, after the 3A semifinal game, you're like, holy cow, East St. Louis, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, but without having seen them, I got to go Bogan. I mean, I, I the, the Booker, Bloxton, AG trio right now, um, you know, I, they, they've got to figure a way to keep AG out of foul trouble. Uh, mm-hmm. They just, they got to keep him on the court to win these two games in Peoria. And, but I'll take Bogan in a tight one, in a fun one. Yeah, this Bloxton thing. I mean, that or game that they lost in double overtime was his first game and he made an instant impact. I think he only played maybe in the second half. No, he played a little bit in the first half. But I, I just think it's important to note that with Bloxton the whole year, who knows what Bogan's record is right now, what else they've won besides for just Proviso right? and what we're talking about. I feel like this is a team we haven't even really reckoned with um, that's coming here to state. Yeah, so, he had 20 in that Morgan Park game. You know, they lost to Curie in the regular season by eight. And they lost to Morgan Park in the regular season by eight. And they lost to Orr by one. so And they beat Young. It, it's not – and he didn't play in that Curie or, or Morgan Park game. So, you know, you, this isn't like a eight, nine point per game guy we're adding. We're adding a you know, 20, 19, 20 point per game guy and who, who's got difference-making ability. You know, Goody called him in my story, you know, last week, the best guard in the city. Yeah. You know, I, I won't go there, but he is a Division One player, uh, mid-major for sure, and uh, he's a, a tough matchup because of he can do something off the dribble, he can get to the rim, and he can he can, he can make some shots. So he, he's an exciting talent. So yeah, everybody around the state, I know after last weekend, this is what you're dying to hear, but a public league team has a guy that just got eligible a month ago that we think is going to lead them to the state title, a transfer. <laughs> he went to Julian, right? Yeah. So that's going to yeah. go over real well. <laughs> yeah, keep that in the down low. <laughs> where did that guy come from? He just had two a, uh, yeah. hey, when did that guy get here? Uh, yeah. uh, or um, he, he hasn't even been playing as long as Sharif Kenny <laughs> for his team. So on to 4A, uh, 530, Evanston, Rockford East. Both these four A games on paper and matchup wise, yeah. And if I'm an odds maker, <laughs> I've got some really low spreads. So I, I, I'm given Evanston because of the experience, because of they've been there before. I, I'm going to make them. People are going to start betting now. Uh, <laughs> two and a half point favorite over Rockford East, but I want to pick the upset. I really do. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll go with Evanston. I mean, I've, at the beginning of the state tournament, I had Evanston in the state championship, so I don't want to be a, hey, I picked them here. And not, so, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Evanston. I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to be a down-to-the-wire game. I think it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be up and down, fast-paced, a lot of threes. Uh, keep an eye on Sincere Parker, though. He, he He's a... He's a fun-looking junior, man. And uh, 6'3", like I said at the beginning, 6'3", off guard, can really score it. 
and they they just they're they're similar in a lot of ways these two teams to be honest and but I'll go with the experience that that not only Evanston has had but what Mike Ellis has had Mike Ellis is you know he's been to Peoria with Evanston he took Peoria Richwoods there twice maybe three times I know he has a couple I think he's two state runner up or third place in this. So Mike Ellis has been through this, been there, done it. So I'm going to go with Evanston in a close one. Yeah, you know, without seeing Rockford East, I don't think my opinion's worth much on this one. Um, you know, Evanston was my preseason number two. Yeah. Um, so I've had high hopes for them all season long. This is clearly, you know, as Ben mentioned, what they have been shooting for the whole time. Um, so yeah, I guess you have to make them the slight favorite. But um, I'm excited about this Rockford East team, and it would be kind of cool if they – Pulled it off. Uh, next up, Belleville West, Curie, the big showdown, the game of the day, game of the year maybe, what everybody's been looking forward to. Both teams publicly trying to paint themselves as the underdog. And I'm giving it, that's just a pick em. <laughs> On the board is a pick because, again, uh, Belleville West, EJ Liddell, there's something, well, I shouldn't say that, there's something about both these teams that go beyond the talent they, they both have something in them. Uh, you know, Joe Munoz talked about it, and I, I read some of your tweets, Mike, um, or, and, and some of the stories, uh, you know, from the, the media session today, as well as the stories of, of just their, their road here. And I've talked to him a lot, too. Um, he just happens to be, you know, because of the E.J. Liddell recruitment and because of um, – their success. He's just one of the out, out of the Chicago area coaches that I've gotten to know here and talked a lot about his team about with over the last two years. And I, I just, they, they, he always talked, talking about how much pressure he felt like his, his team was under and the expectation, even in town of, you know, oh, you only beat that team by, you know, a wins a win. You only mm-hmm. beat this team by this. I, I just feel like now, they're back to where they were expected to be and a little bit of the pressure. Yeah. It's the pressure is to repeat, but once everybody's got that, once they get to Peoria is the pressure of playing at Peoria. I just feel like that whole falling short and choking and coming up short thing is, is beyond. Now you are, if they lose to Curie, no one's going to say, Oh, how'd you do that? You know, I, I did not. So that's why I think Belleville West is going to come in as the calm, cool defending champ, and maybe play up even within themselves that Curie is number one and then the better team, you know, or people think that, and, and maybe they are, I mean, they are number one. They haven't lost anybody. So there is some merit to that, but I just think both of these have a lot of, both these teams have a lot of moxie and we've seen it with Curry. Jeez. I mean, look what they've done coming and the way they've won their last two games. Are you kidding me? Uh, so that's why I think these are, this is the evenly matched game. This is not the Belleville West team of a year ago simply because Malachi Smith, if anybody remembers, was a terrific player. If anybody's noticed, he's probably going to be on the all-freshman team in the Horizon League. He's at Wright State. Had a great freshman year. He was a major presence for them last year at both ends of the floor. And they don't have that. They don't have him. And that's why they're not as good as last year. But Liddell, man, my big thing I can't wait to see in Peoria, Mike, as far as matchups is how Curie decides to defend Belleville West. I think they'll play, you know, they're, they've played some, they played plenty of zone in there over the years. I anticipate Curie's going to play a lot of zone against Belleville West. 
uh, and that's how they'll kind of contend with. You no, know, there's not a lot of size with Curie. No. But uh, I guess I'll make my pick because again, I'm I'm staying true to my picks from the beginning. And I had Belleville West and Evanston in the championship game and Belleville West winning it. So I'm going to stick with Belleville West. I, um, yeah, this morning. Would not, would, sorry, would not be shocked one bit if Curie wins the thing, though. This morning, Joe Munoz um, talked a lot about what you just said. I'm going to straight up read it because this is what I was going to put in the story. He talked about that pressure. He said you could see during the season the pressure kind of mount on our kids. But I think we got refocused. Not to say the regular season didn't matter. It did. But the goal to get back to state and win a state championship was there since the day we left Peoria. They know it is now or never. These guys are resilient. They are winners. They have handled that pressure now. Right now, they are very confident and playing their best basketball this season. That was that last part was a real key bit to me. Um, because you want to hear that about a team that's going to go win a state title. You know, you don't want to have – and I wasn't sure that was the case with Belleville West. Like, maybe they started out playing well. I think I saw them, you know, when it was not a high point. You know, EJ Liddell was, you know, a little hurt. It didn't look so smooth. But it sounds like all that pressure that both these <laughs> – that Coach Joe talked about and Joe Hendrickson just talked about has, in a way, sort of lifted now because they've got here. And now they know how to win once they're here. Um, so that's interesting, very interesting. Curie – Kind of weird, Mike, as you're talking, you're literally reading Joe Munoz's quote, and Joe Munoz comes up on my phone. (laughs) So, there we go. Well, his ears were buzzing. No shot clock (laughs) was uh, on the case. We could have added him in as our Skype guest. Um, (laughs) He was telling you not to pick him in the podcast. Well, I did. I'm picking him. So, Um, how about... it's so hard to pick against Curie for me because I've been at these last two games and I, I thought they were losing last night to Simeon. There was there was no life there. They had let Simeon – Simeon had made a lot of mistakes. Had played a ton of turnovers. Maybe the most turnovers I've seen a Simeon team have in years in that game. But they were winning the whole way. I mean, I really thought Simeon was going to win that game. And then somehow in an eye blink in the last minute, Curie got a couple more turnovers. This time, scores off them, and then that three. Uh, I, I don't. So I don't know. So it's very difficult. Curie seems like they've just sold their soul to the basketball devil <laughs> for these wins, these last two well, games. I, and that's why I go back with that moxie, that 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 confidence, the 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 chemistry, the belief. And I know all those teams have that at this point. They get to Peoria, that's how they get there. I get it, but. They they just all, all year long. It, it's kind of been that way, yeah. and I credit some of the role players, some of the guys that don't get as much attention for for completely buying in. And uh, it starts with that little point guard of theirs, you know. And I, I just, I, I again, I said Belleville West and Cure is a toss up. I, I won't be surprised. I, I, I just EJ Liddell. I, I have a thing when I have pick and toss-up games like that where I I go with the best player on the floor. Yep. And that's why I'm, I, I – and, and Liddell is a factor defensively too. Curie is great on the offensive glass. And Belleville West is going to have to keep them off the offensive glass, but they have a guy that, that is a terrific rebounder. And EJ Liddell can't control that. And he's a shot blocker. Um, I'm, I'll pick Curie just because – 
I, I think it's going to come down to the last second. I think it's going to be a great game. Most of the time, I agree. And well, you know, I've heard, you've heard me spout my stat about how the team with the better player wins eighty percent of the time. Um, but after what I've seen out of Curie the last two games, I just feel like it's their year. Um, one thing I guess I want to ask you, since you've seen Rockford East, um, does Rockford East have the best player on the floor in that Evanston game? Uh, they had the best talent. Yeah, they had the best player, individual player. I mean, he, he he's he's our leading scorer. I mean, I, I sincere I, Parker, you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Evanston just be, I, I, the reason I'm saying it pretty soundly is that kind of what Ben was saying. I mean, Evanston just has different guys that step up all the time. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. Jalen Gibson, what was it the regional championship he had 20? Or, or, or sectional, no, sectional championship he had 20. You know, they've won now with Blake Peters not hitting. Now, last year, Blake Peters was kind of their star down in Peoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, Sincere Parker is the highest rated prospect for sure and the most dynamic player. But he's a junior and he's and he's still figuring it out, figuring it out. And, but yeah, they, they'll have. They'll have the best player on the floor. You're so right. uh, your Belleville West Evanston title game, who do you got? Belleville West. Evanston's going to have a nightmare matchup. If that game materializes, I, mean, I don't know what they do with Liddell. Yeah. Curie Evanston, who, what do you think? Curie. I had Evanston as the runner-up. I'll stick with him as a runner-up. Uh, they fall short. And so basically what I'm saying is, Seven fifteen Friday night. <laughs> yeah, is your title game? Is, is my title game, <laughs> and that, that's happened over the years a yeah. number of times. Yeah, uh, but I, I just and it, they, it's because both they, those teams you don't see them letting up in the title game, you know. Well, they've they've also yeah. been the two. I mean, I know we don't do rankings with Belleville West included, but I mean for the from November through December, I think everybody would have. Uh, agree that Belleville West was the best team in Illinois and from January on they would say Curie now part of that I mean, Belleville West had some injuries people don't realize EJ Liddell missed the game was hobbled in the game didn't play here and there I mean so they had a little rut yes it kind of diminishes their record I don't know what the record is or uh, just four losses so. yeah I mean it's a great record but I mean if Liddell's healthy they're probably I don't. I don't. Probably have one loss. So we might be talking. We might be talking differently. It kind of stinks. I wish they did have one loss. I wish Belva West and Curie came in here with one loss each. The out-of-state teams. That'd have been cool. But again, I think it's the state championship game at seven fifteen Friday. Boy, I can't wait. It's gonna be. I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Um, even though you know, I feel like Bogan's super talented and DePaul might have trouble, but I'm really looking forward to seeing DePaul prep at state. I really like watching Perry Cowan. I always have. I'm glad that he gets to kind of get that stage. I think he's been a little high school wise underrated in his career over the years. So that's cool. Just every game. There's something I want to see. Extremely productive. Yeah. He's an intangibles guy. He's their star, but he's also does all we've talked about it. Does all the little things, the dirty work. He's a willing defender. Uh, he's, you know, people talk about building a culture and a program. Ask Tom Kleinschmidt about what Perry Collin has done for that program in, over the last four years, and it's it's off the charts. So uh, it's great to see, again, new blood. Even guys like, you know, Tom Kleinschmidt, who was a star and, and returning with his alma mater, 
um, in 3A, Willie Coleman uh, returning uh, with Peoria Manual. I mean, I, uh, I, I just – it has a lot to offer for the high school basketball fan who – if you listen to this podcast, I'm assuming you're a big high school basketball fan. So <laughs> you're still I, listening today, <laughs> right? And you're still listening. Fortunately, then maybe if you're driving from Chicago, you got a two-hour ride to yeah. Peoria, and, and we're gonna maybe fill that up for you. But I just, I, I just believe it's got a, a wide range of quality teams, great storylines, and uh, just enough smattering of of, of high-level talent. Maybe not. The, the high level individual talent we've seen the past years, but it's still pretty good. Yeah, it's gonna be. Good. What if I wind up with a four um, A title game of Rockford East and Belleville West with no, with no local? What oh. do I, what do I do? <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm used to like having non local. I'm a foul. So on the Sunday's paper in print. Yeah. It, 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 what have you done in the past? Three the pages, 3A for it? a full page for the 4A title game, a full page for the 3A title game, and a full page column. So you have a full page 4A Rockford yeah. East Belleville. I guess, but I haven't had this problem before. Like I've had a a non local team win, you know, like the Livingston years, yeah. you know. But so I'm used to that. I like, yeah. Okay, well, this is the last piece of information. You can ramble if you want about something else, but. When is the last time? Oh, there were two. You've had two. I mean, it's been a lot in the big school state tournament. Not I. Not since I've been doing this, for sure. Carbondale. I'm scrolling quick. Carbondale Manual in '94. Is that it? I know that. That's the last one I remember. Manual Thornton. Yeah. Manuel West Aurora, Young Galesburg. That's it. 94. So I, I, I was in high school. I was there. I was not right, worried about what was going to be in the Sun Times. <laughs> so. Well, that's uh, 24 years it's been since we've had this happen. So, uh, and oh, actually, overall, no, that was Willie Coleman. Yeah. He was playing in it. <laughs> so really why he's the manual coach. Now, all right, so everybody, it should be a great weekend. Get Go down there, please. Um, enjoy yourselves. Feel free to come on up and introduce yourself as long as I'm not furiously typing away. And it's don't come anywhere near me around 10 o'clock p.m. when I'm on deadline. But other than that, it'd be great. it's always great to meet everybody in Peoria. Thanks for listening. If you're driving, drive safe. And uh, let's wrap this season up with a, a fabulous weekend down in Peoria. And we'll be back to wrap it all up next week. <laughs>